0: Hey, the Paranormal Chick here. Welcome to episode 10 of my podcast. Today we are going to talk about law enforcement and their encounters with the paranormal. Usually when we think of paranormal, sightings, encounters, or experiences, we tend to assume it's just everyday people like you and I impacted. But truly, that's not the case. Law enforcement encounters their fair share of paranormal and i'm going to read you some of their stories this is titled police dispatcher encounters evil and this is her story several years ago i took a 911 call for a family reporting their teenage daughter was possessed they claimed no possibility of drugs or a history of mental health issues which I, of course, did not believe for a second. Family members were holding her down and I could hear two people screaming at each other in the background. I asked the caller to tell whoever was yelling at her to stop. The caller said, it's her. I responded that I knew it was her, but whoever was yelling at her at the same time to stop. The caller again said, it's her. Both voices. I kid you not, it was the creepiest thing I have ever heard. I have been doing this for over 25 years, and I've heard many things. I know of man's inhumanity and the horrible things people do to each other, but this? This was a different kind of evil. I was clearly hearing a young girl screaming at the same time an adult male was yelling back. I couldn't understand either language, but they were clearly two different voices. The family swore both voices were coming from her at the same time. It made my skin crawl. The Lieutenant listened to the tape later and he looked at me and said, do you ever wonder? Yes. Yes, I do. This was reported by Meredith Shireman. This next story is titled, Cell Number One is Empty. I've seen a lot of things in my career, things that would make a citizen doubt my sanity, from being dispatched to chase a UFO, to responding to calls of ghosts. But the most unusual thing that happened to me was witnessed by several officers and a dispatcher. One evening, I had brought in a guy for domestic violence As he was being a bit rowdy, I was joined in booking by the sergeant and another patrolman. I'm in the process of booking Mr. Tough Guy when I glanced into cell one. There was a guy in there, short haircut, glasses and a white t-shirt, just staring at us. I ignored him because I didn't want him to start banging on the window, demanding a phone call or something. So I finished up the booking process and escorted Mr. Tough Guy to his cell. Walking past cell number one, the guy in the cell just stood there, never saying a word, or moving. We all then leave booking and go about our business. Sometime later, Sergeant asked me to check the paperwork for the prisoners to see if any were ready to to be transported to county jail. I grab the paperwork and go into booking to do a head count. Cell number one is empty. I panic and I tell the sergeant who also panics and he and I begin to make phone calls to the detectives to see if they had moved the guy or had released him. They all said they didn't go into booking at all. I then checked the computer and the paperwork again and the headcount was accurate. No one had been placed in cell number one. We go to dispatch office to check the surveillance video for booking. We rewind the footage to where I can be seen booking my prisoner, we fast forward to the point in the video where we all walk out. As soon as we walk past the door, the guy in number one blinks out of his out of existence. We were all freaked out by the occurrence, believe you me. When we tried to transfer the video to a DVD and a USB drive, the guy in the cell did not even appear. We still hear and see stuff every now and then, and prisoners in the detox tank can be seen talking to someone in the direction of cell number one, even though it appears empty. To this day, I'm wary of going into booking alone. This was reported by Marco Castillo. This next testimony is titled, Welfare Check. I answered a welfare check call one night it was late, between oh two hundred thirty and o three hundred, on an elderly woman who lived next door to the caller and she had not been seen for some time. This night we were having a bad thunderstorm without the rain. I get to the complainant's house to speak to her first, wondering why she called at this time. She tells me that the lady next door is in her 90s, lives alone, and she has not been seen in weeks. She explained that she has called, went over, knocked on her door, but the lady would not answer. I start thinking she's probably deceased and has been for some time. The car has a three inch layer of dust on it. The mail is piling up and no lights are on. First, I walk to the side of the door, knock on the door with my flashlight, knocking loud enough so that an elderly person with, with some hearing should hear it. After a few minutes of no response, I turn around and walk to the backyard, looking at the windows and find everything's okay. The complainant is with me and is saying she doesn't know of any relatives of the lady. I'm sure by now she's probably deceased. I walk to the front of the house to notice that her blinds are up on the front windows and I can see a glow from inside the house. I am, however, not tall enough to look into the windows, which are probably seven feet off the ground. The complainant runs next door and grabs a bucket for me to stand on. I get on the bucket and bingo, I can see the living room. The glow was from the TV, which was on a blue screen, and is bright enough I didn't need my flashlight to see in. I looked first at the floor to make sure she had not fallen there. Clouch, recliner, everything was empty. The telephone home base was blinking red with missed calls and voicemails. From the living room was a hallway that was dark and I couldn't see down. Using my flashlight, I could only see an open door down the hall, still no signs of life. I turned around and told the complainant that everything looked okay and nothing was disturbed. I turned back around and an elderly woman is looking back at me with her face right up next to the glass. I couldn't breathe. It felt as if I had been hit in the chest by a bat. I fell backward and off the bucket. I hit the ground hard and the complainant rushed to me. I pushed her off as she was trying to help me up and I ran back up on the bucket. My heart was pounding but I had to see. Instinct had my hand on my gun. The other one was up on the window. I looked back inside and saw a frail elderly woman standing in the hallway wearing a long nightgown with her back to me. She turned her head to the side and looked at me out of the corner of her eye and slowly walked out of view down the dark hallway. That unnerved me. I got down and looked at the complainant who was standing there with a puzzled look on her face. All I could say was I saw her. By now, the wind had picked up and it began to rain. I began to walk back to my car by the road, and I turned back to the complainant and said, don't come back here. I got into the car, drove to the PD. I never found out about the lady who lived there. The complainant didn't call back, and the house now has a different tenant inside. Some things are better left alone. This was reported by Chuck Peel. This next story is titled, No Scent." Over 20 years ago, I took an alarm call at the old PTA building across the street from a courthouse in Austin, Texas. The alarm had already gone quiet when I showed up with a senior officer. We found an unsecured door slightly open on the east side. So he posted me there while he finished the perimeter and other officers arrived. I was staring right at the door when the alarm activated again, and the door slammed shut in my face loudly. The senior officer ran back to my position and asked why I closed the door. I told him I didn't. We called for K9 and the dog arrived shortly. I went in with K9 to clear the building. We found nothing, but the entire time, the dog was acting very hinky, like someone was in the building, but he wasn't picking up a scent. We secured the building and a keyholder showed up. He said, Well, you know, this place is haunted, right? There was a secretary who worked there for about 30 years, and after she died, she keeps showing up for work. Papers flying off the desk, door closes, sightings, the works. We both told the keyholder the next time the alarm call, it was all his. This was reported by Joe Pride. This next testimony is titled Clark Hall. I was working at college that claims to be haunted. My partner and I didn't believe any of it. We go into Clark Hall, which has classrooms, and start propping doors open with desks. This is around 0200 hours. We already walked through and made sure the building was empty. Only two stairwells Donut, wasn't hard to do. We were on the third floor. I finished my door and wedged a desk in between the door and the frame. When I finished, I shook it to make sure it's it was in there pretty secure. I go over to help my buddy with his door when behind me, the door I was working on opens up and the chair desk combo flings across the room and the door slams. He takes off running, jumping landing to landing, And honestly, I still don't think he's ever gone in that building again. Reported by Walter Sonberg. This next testimony is titled, Burglary in Progress. I was called to Burglary in Progress, daytime. The owner was in the kitchen and heard someone run upstairs to the third floor. It's an old house with wooden stairs. I set up a perimeter around the house. I came up with the K9, just as I gave K9 warning, a perimeter officer saw a hand pull a curtain back on the top floor and relayed the info to me. Thinking surely we would be making an apprehension with K9, I sent my partner in. Long story short, nobody was found, but the officer was 100% certain he saw what he saw. The homeowner was confident he heard the running up of 12 steps. This was reported by Josh David. This next witness account is titled, Just Saying Hello. A couple of years back, I was patrolling around 0300 and 0400. I drive by a small airport in my jurisdiction that is in the middle of the woods, which has several hangars and one main office building. I drive by it a few times a night as it has been burglarized in the past. On this particular night, I'm driving by and I hear an audible alarm sounding from inside. I was not dispatched and did not receive any other calls about it. I call it in and I walk up, walk up to the building, which is completely dark and not occupied. Every point of entry is secure, so I am now waiting on the key holder to let me in to clear the inside. I figured a loose door, the wind, etc. It tripped the alarm. The keyholder comes out with his wife in a couple of minutes and they open up the door for me. I clear the entire office, a garage, etc. Nothing is disturbed. The keyholder is confused as the alarm is not a motion alarm, nor is it an alarm system. The keyholder explains to me that the alarm is coming from a cash register that was opened inside of the office. The cash register could only be opened by pressing a hidden button which I'll say was extremely well hidden without going into too much detail. The only people who knew where the button was located was he, his wife, and his deceased father. He told me the cash register closes and locks without pressing this button and without pressing this button it couldn't be possibly opened. It was not an oversight neither as I had driven by several hours before and heard nothing. The money was not disturbed. However, the register was all the way opened. The keyholder smiled and told me that his father had created and owned the airport before he passed away and that the airplanes in this place in particular were his passion, his life's work. The keyholder told me that he believes his father does things like that to bring his family to the airport just to say, hello. And make his presence known. I don't have any other explanation for it, reported by Billy Bravo. This next account is titled, All Alone. I was a sergeant working overtime graveyard at a new demolished sub. It was my lunch break and I heard someone open the door at the other end of the sub and I heard footsteps. I had the light off in my office because the hall lights were more than lit up. I saw someone in the door, and when I turned to look, it was a shadow figure standing in the doorway, as if to say, hi, sergeant. It wasn't something I saw out of the corner of my eye, and it was there for a couple of seconds, then it went on to the lieutenant's office. Later, when I asked the guys if they had ever experienced anything strange at the sub, they responded, that's why we don't come back until the sun comes up. I found out about other experiences that others had and it was similar. I'm still a skeptic, but I can't explain what I saw. Reported by Paul Jacobs. This next testimony is titled Good Conversation. I was working at our jail. And while doing my watch tour, I was heading into medical and heard two people having a conversation and thought it was two inmates in a cell talking. I went to the first cell, and no names on the door, so I didn't look in. I went to the next door, and had one name on it. I opened the hatch to look in, and there was there was a guy in there. I didn't say anything at first to him. as in, As I was closing his hatch, he asked me if I could move his neighbors over, because he was alone, and would like some company. I then went over to the previous door, and checked in the window, just in case someone didn't put the names on the door. I looked in and nobody was in the cell. I went back to the guy in the other cell and asked him if he had heard people talking. He stated yes, they had been talking a lot. I informed him that there was nobody next door and got out of there. Reported by Scott Rowlandson. This next account is titled, The Boy on the Bench. I work security in a med center after retirement. I opened the place one morning at 0500. As I passed in a clove, for an instant, I saw a boy about nine years old, brown hair, stripped shirt, sitting on a bench, then he was gone. Anyway, out of embarrassment, I never told a soul about it. I had eight retired detectives working for me, and one day, I was having a conversation with one of them, very sheepishly, He asked if I'd ever saw anything strange in the place when I opened in the morning. When I asked him why, he said that he saw a young boy wearing a stripped shirt, sitting on a bench. Then he was gone. The same location where I saw the kid. Other things happened were coffee pots being knocked over, footsteps late at night when closing. Later found out that the med center was located adjacent to the most haunted cemetery of Staten Island. Reported by Buddy Smith. This next testimony is titled Rule Encounter. I work on county roads and I had a Signal 100 at 0300 and my closest bathroom was 30 minutes out so I pulled down a dark gravel road and started my business. I felt like someone was watching me Looking toward the rear bumper of my unit, approximately 20 feet beyond my rear bumper, I saw a shadowy figure standing there. I stopped, zipped up, wasn't finished, and yelled out to what I thought was a person. I got no reply from the per- from the figure. I start to apologize to the figure, thinking this was the landowner coming to see who was peeing on their driveway, but no response. Then... I go into tack mode and demand them to show their hands and identify themselves, but no answer. I finally get smart and use my light to see who it was, and as light passes over the area, the figure was gone. Keep in mind, this conversation was about 20 seconds long, and I just saw something there. I look around. I hear no running through the brush. I turn to get to make it into my unit and take one more look back and see the shadowy figure move towards me from where I last saw it. Needless to say, I got in my unit and I sped off because bullets were not going to stop this spirit. Reported by TJ This This next account is titled, Sound the Alarm. The jail had a notorious ghost, Sarah Ware who would play with the lights and set off alarms. Most of the alarms are panic alarms in locked offices where switches actually had to be pushed and slid into a slot to activate. It got to the point where the officers were afraid to go into the courthouse for an alarm. Reported by Amy Reynolds. Secret friends. A little kid on custody exchange kept telling me about her secret friends. Standing near me, not really too scary, but creepy, especially when she's telling me one doesn't like me. Reported by Jimmy McNulty. This next encounter is titled Hind Legs. One year, our department started receiving complaints of headstones being knocked over in the city cemetery around Halloween. The chief advised us on the midnight shift to spend our extra time around the cemetery to catch the person or persons causing the damage. Me being sneaky, I found a good hidden observation point about a block away. There were two major well-lit streets providing fair lighting in the cemetery. For several nights, I would from time to time stop and check the cemetery with my binoculars and only patrol the cemetery at the start and the end of my shift as usual. One time checking the cemetery, I spotted something that looked like a cat walking on its hind legs. I watched it walk approximately 10 feet between headstones and lost sight of it. I rushed over to the area in my patrol car, turning on my spotlight, alley lights, and takedown lights. I couldn't find a thing, but I tracked through the dew on the grass that dead-ended at a headstone. To this day, I can remember how it moved and it's outline in my binoculars. Creepy. I'm an avid hunter and I've done plenty of hunting at night. I'm very familiar with all the animals in my neck of the woods and I've never seen anything like it. Reported by Arthur Rigsby. This next encounter is titled Home. Several years back, my partner and I were looking for a kidnapping suspect in some abandoned house, around 0330. We go to check a house in a very rural, remote part of the county. The house is extremely large and creepy looking. We make entry and find that the inside of this house is like something out of Tim Burton's nightmare. There are walls going halfway up and stopping. There were doorways barely big enough to stick your head through and opening up into massive empty rooms. Every time we thought we made it to the top floor, we'd find another staircase leading up. Finally, we make it to the attic and find all kinds of crazy stuff drawn, drawn on the walls. Needless to say, we finished the clearing the house and got out of there, reported by Kevin Thompson. This next account is titled Entry Tools. I responded to a suicide As the co-lead detective, a male had hung himself in the tree in the backyard. We checked the residence and it was locked with a deadbolt thrown on both entry and egress doors. I called for entry tools and a supervisor for a a breach because the descendant's girlfriend was not accounted for and they lived together. Possible murder-suicide. Several police officers and I were standing at the back door of the house, south side, which had been checked multiple times, waiting on entry tools. I look at the door and there's a gap in the frame and see there's no deadbolt thrown anymore. I check the door and it's now open. We clear the residence and no one is inside. I even had them clear the attic space. Inside, the door that magically opened were multiple notes to family members from the deceased. We all walk outside and are waiting on NOK to arrive and try to walk back in. The door is secured again with a deadbolt. It should be noted no one had keys and there were key locks on both sides of the door. The lead and I were now discussing how we were going to have to call for entry tools and again the door was open. No one going near it. I again had the residence cleared and no one inside. The lead detective and I did not go back into the house that day. Reported by Rob McGinley. This next account is titled, A Call for Help. Calls for service coming from a vacant household twice a night for about a week. The voice on the phone sounded like an elderly at-risk lady with Alzheimer's, barely, barely audibly saying, please help, please help. With coffee, totally unresponsive to our calls, confirmed with my shift sergeant that the house last resident was a daughter taking care of her mother who was dying from stage two lung cancer. Definitely sent a shiver down my back. Reported by Dalton Hostler. This next account is titled "Paperwork." One cold winter night around O three hundred, I was parked in the dark doing paperwork behind a Kmart. Suddenly, someone or something banged on my driver's side window two to three times, obviously scaring the hell out of me, but it happens. Except there was nobody there. Business wall, eight to five inches to my right, 10 inch solid fence to my left, and 100 inch open space front and back. Nothing but my own tire tracks and the blanket of fresh snow. No marks on my window or a ground indicating a snowball or such. I even got down in the snow and looked under my car. Still a bit anxious whenever I drive back there. Reported by Troy Peterson. This next account is titled, He's Staring at You. One of our regular callers was a lady in her 80s. When she wouldn't take her medicine, she would hallucinate and see children in her house and she would call us to report the children were moving her belongings around, making noises, etc. I've been to her house several times for these calls, but on one occasion, I was talking to her in the dining room of her home and she was getting aggravated because she could see the children, but I couldn't. She looked at me with concerned voice and loudly said, you can't see him? he has been staring at you for 10 minutes now and grinning. While saying this, she was pointing to a spot about 5 feet from me. I know it was only a hallucination, but the way she spoke about it with such concern, concern was extremely creepy." Reported by Kel, Kyle Brodus. The following accounts are submitted by law enforcement who wish to remain anonymous. Police one, readers respond. I was working receiving and release when we had an inmate released to a state mental hospital. When he was given his release clothing, he looked toward me with a thousand yard stare and said, Why don't you just do it? I asked what he meant. With zero inflection staring right through me, he said, I know why you're here. Kill me already. Get over with it. There was no one else in the holding tank. However, I looked over my shoulder to make sure no one had entered. No one had. When I placed him in handcuffs, he suddenly focused on me as though just noticing I was there. He said to me, He's going to kill me. Don't let them take me. He survived the transport, but it was definitely creepy. This next story... Is by an anonymous police officer. I was a new cop and my FTO and I were on a residential street in the middle of the night. We found a car positioned pr- perpendicular to the road and the driver seemed to be trying to get turned around but just kept moving back and forth. We contacted the, di- the driver who was a female in her early 20s. She was lucid and coherent. She asked me how to get to a nearby neighborhood called Joaquin Marietta. But she was being somewhat evasive in her answers to my questions. Eventually, she reluct- reluctantly told me her family was being held hostage, and the only way she could get them released would be to complete missions for the CIA. I figured she was on drugs or just crazy. My FTO was a- was A.D.R.E. and he determined she wasn't on drugs. Okay, so she's just crazy. Then she told me she had a device in the car, which was like a handle with an arrow on the top of it. She said if she held the device, the arrow would glow when it was pointed in the direction she was supposed to go to continue her mission. I asked if I could examine the device, and she said, sure. I decided to humor her and held the device out while slowly turning in a circle. To my shock, the arrow suddenly brightened when it was pointed toward the Joaquin Marietta neighborhood. And only when it was pointed in that direction, she had an expression on her face like, see, I told you so. I had never seen a device like that before since. My FTO was freaked out and he told me, she's not committing any crimes, so let's get out of here. So we left. To this day, I have no idea what was actually happening there. This next anonymous story I was a patrol deputy in a small Texas panhandle town in the 1990s one winter night after good solid snowfall I was down the alley behind the business district checking for open doors when I saw a woman at the far end of the alley about a block away standing in the middle of the alley looking at my direction white female long dark hair wearing a long black evening dress but no coats gloves or anything like that it was after midnight and it was cold so i called miss are you okay she looked at me then turned and stepped into what i knew was a recessed area behind one of the stores so i got back into a cruiser and drove down there expecting to find the the dock door open and the kids of the owners hanging out the dock doors weren't open none of the doors were open and the only thing in the little recessed area was a black cat sitting on the gas meter As I grabbed the flashlight and started looking around, figuring I was about to find an intoxicated girl passed out in a snowdrift, the cat hopped off the meter, rubbed against my leg, wandered off down the alley. Then I realized that not only was there not anyone passed out in the snow, my footprints were the only ones in the fresh snow. And when I saw my tracks were the only ones in the snow, the cat didn't leave prints either. And I wasn't new to the tracking game. I've tracked children across dirty cleatias before. I got back into the cruiser and hightailed it back to the office. Told dispatcher about, it and she said, "Oh, her. She's been showing up for about twenty years or so. No one has a clue who she is. You see the cat too." I hadn't said anything about the cat. Freaked me the hell out. This next story is by a deputy sheriff i was working in a rural town approximately 20 minutes from the main city in my county at approximately oh, 130 hours i was dispatched to a traffic accident in a canal i arrived on scene with chip to find an overturned vehicle in an empty canal no driver or passengers in sight at first we figured the driver left the scene after the ta but after getting a closer look The canal floor was muddy and there were no foot foot impressions leaving the vehicle. We lit up the canal and took a side and started walking down the canal to see if anyone had been ejected. We were about to give up when I stopped and looked over to the chip officer on the opposite side of the canal. I asked if maybe the body was under the car. My flashlight was angled down into the canal and caught the bottom of two shoe soles with the body of a man covered in mud. I wouldn't have seen him if it weren't for his clean souls. Being a sheriff coroner, I set out to notify his next of kin. I found an old address for the man and approximately at oh, 03.30 hours, I found a cluster of trailers at the address. None of the trailers had address numbers. I walked around looking for address numbers or maybe a car I could run to get, to get an idea of what the trailer he may have lived in. I found a car with paper plates next to a trailer. I went to the side and attempted to run the VIN when I heard, I've been waiting for you. Startled, I turned around, shined my light onto the porch. An elderly Hispanic woman was sitting in a rocking chair in total darkness of the porch. I'm sorry. I'm looking for her, I said she replied without emotion. I know. My son died about two hours ago. I confirmed her son's name and asked if there was anything, anyone with him. She said no, he was alone. He went to a party and had too much to drink. I asked how she knew he passed and she responded at 1.30. He came to me while I was sleeping to say goodbye and he was sorry. He told me a young cop found him and would be visiting me soon. So I got up and sat on the porch to wait for you. I told her that I was sorry for her loss and left. I tell this story all the time and the hair on my arms stand up every single time. This next story is brought to you by a deputy sheriff. While working as a deputy sheriff in Baltimore city in the 1990s, I was in the old federal courthouse. Anyone familiar with Baltimore city knows there is the old circuit court building and the old federal court building. The one Spyro T. The one that Spyro T knew knew was put on trial in. On a break, I was standing in the hallway between the courtroom and the jury room. There were a few people there, including the state's attorney, waiting for the court to resume. When the jury room door opened, which is a large, solid door just like in the movies, it opened slowly, widely enough for someone to walk out but there was no one there, and then it slammed shut. I went over and the door was locked. Keep in mind that this was a heavy door and there were no open windows for a breeze to blow in, nor was anyone present in the room at the time. Very strange. This next story. One night, quite a few years back, while working a medium-sized county as a road deputy, I had a reserve officer riding with me that night shift. We were just outside of the largest city in the county near an old air base. We had stopped to stretch our legs and to take a nature break. It was around 3 a.m., plenty dark away from town and a beautiful, clear, mild night. As we were talking and looking up at the night sky, something caught my eye. Due west, there was a bright white light of a good size that appeared to be from my angle of view, maybe 200 yards above the treetops and several miles away. What caught my eye was that it was changing colors. I know at night stars appear to be flickering different colors at times, especially if you are staring at them, but this was not a flicker. This object was slowly changing colors. While well, at first, then it faded into a bright red and it stayed that color for about 2 minutes and then it faded into a blue, again for about two minutes. This went on for about 10 minutes as we watched it. It was no plane, their markers, light flash. Well, after about 15 minutes it started to move slow at first, side to side, then up and down. This was very noticeable as it moved away, moved quite a ways, you could tell by using the stars in the background for reference. It moved this way for a little bit, then stopped and did a loop or a circle, then went back to stationary. I got a call from one of the city officers who asked me to meet him at a farm implement place there at the edge of town. I asked the reserve to kind of keep an eye on the object if he could. When I arrived at the place we were to meet with the other officer, a sergeant was parked facing the road that put me pulling up beside him, me facing due west. He wanted to check if I had my paperwork on an arrest I had assisted him with. As we were talking, I was looking up and watching the object. It was still doing what it had been doing. The sergeant had noticed that I had seemed to be preoccupied. He said in a fairly loud and commanding voice, Will you please stop watching that? That, that thing, whatever it is. I asked him how did he know what I was watching. He said he had been watching that damn thing for about an hour off and on, and it was creeping him out. Suddenly I shouted, Damn, here it comes. The sergeant put his patrol car in gear and tore out of there like his tail was on fire. The reserve and I had a great laugh out of that for about 10 minutes. Then over the years, about the time we had settled, I went back to checking our light And while I was watching it appeared to just move up rather quickly in about a couple hundred yards then as if turning around away from us it was gone now the strange part about the strange part here just about five or six years ago a gentleman contacted me saying he was a ufo investigator and asked if we could meet I asked why he said that he had information that I had reportedly seen a possible ufo some years ago he stated the approximate date, time, and location. I asked how he knew this. He said that he was looking into the sighting in the area that happened to speak with a dispatcher who said she remembered me talking about something around that time. I asked for his name and if, who he was working for and a phone number which he gave me with no problem. I told him I would get back to him within 24 hours. He said okay. I made contact with that dispatcher. She still worked at the sheriff's office where I had worked the time with her. She confirmed a story. I did an internet search of him and the organization he said he was doing the research for for which he was a freelancer. On the website I read a couple of his report stories and even saw a picture of him. I called him the next day and we set a date time to meet, in public place of course. While I told him my story and asked why the interest now, he said that a man had finally reported what he had seen near his place about a UFO. He also said that a couple of neighbors had given him statements about it, and that he had stopped by the local sheriff's office to see if anyone else might have reported it, and that's how he came to talk to the dispatcher. I had worked with, with her, and she had given him my name. He explained that a law enforcement officer gave the sighting a little bit, little more credibility, and in turn, the other scene it gave more seeing it gave me more credibility. At the same time of the incident, I didn't think a whole lot about it, but for some reason that kind of shook me up a little bit. This next encounter. My partner and I were patrolling the old Victorian area of downtown Los Angeles around Mateo Street when all of a sudden there was a security guard screaming in fear. The security guard was so afraid, sweating profusely and crying. The man jumped in front of our squad car. We almost hit him. I asked him to relax and to tell me what happened. The security guard said, do you see the warehouse across the street? I said, where? He said, the one with the rusty tin roof over there answered him, yes, yes, I see it. He said, well, I was doing my rounds inside the warehouse and I saw the ghost of an old woman in in a dress standing in the air four feet off the ground. She pointed her index finger to me and said, if you are here one more minute, I will kill you. Her eyes were glowing red and her hair was moving in the air like there was wind inside of the warehouse. And at that point I stopped doing what I was doing and ran for my life out of that warehouse. I asked my partner if he thought that was a mental case. He said that he didn't know. We decided to ask the guard for his supervisor number and gave him a call. The supervisor agreed to meet us once he arrived he stepped away from his pickup truck and walked to us the guard was across the street waiting i explained to the supervisor the situation and asked him if there was the possibility that his worker was hallucinating or if he had the history of mental illness he laughed and said oh no 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 officer you don't understand of the seven workers that we sent to work in that warehouse all seven have seen the ghost of a witch to the point that four of them asked to be relocated to a different post and remaining three have resigned because they refused to work there again. I asked my partner, do you feel like taking a peek in there? He said, hell no. This next story will be my final story of the evening. In 1987, midnight shift, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Area, Florida. Working as an FTO, Recruit was driving 330 hours, coming up on RXR tracks over past bridge. We saw a male figure that was black and white, translucent in color, walking on the bridge, looking at us, and jumps quickly off the bridge. We notified dispatch and searched for the victim. Nothing was ever found, i.e. no body, no injured person, no scrap of clothing or footprints. No explanation for this event. Well, there you have it. Tell me what you think. Those are the encounters that these officers have faced, have seen, have experienced. Some of them, you can tell, absolute absolute fear. They see a lot more than what we would think that they see they're the ones we call for help when we're scared who do they get to call who gets to be their savior i don't know but tell me what you think i want to hear your experiences if you have your stories to share send them to me you can reach me at the paranormal chick at com. As always, I will load this full podcast to my YouTube channel, The Paranormal Chick. And I want to hear your feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me know. That's all I have for you tonight. Stay safe, my friends, and until tomorrow.